1: Visit RobertHalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh. <laughs> and first pitch crushing. Deep left field. This is walk-off. Walk. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasy baseball at CBSI.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes real. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris.
0: What's up, and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball. Today on Tuesday, July 18th, I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we had the return of Grayson Rodriguez and Shane McClanahan. We're going to fire up the DropoMeter, meter Team Name Tuesday, and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple Or Spotify. Scotty, six shirt man. Matt Lana. Yeah. Now you're all in you're all in on Matt Olson now?
1: Huh? Matt Lana. It depends if you're talking about from a fandom perspective or from a fantasy perspective or a versus Freddie Freeman perspective. All the I am in on though I'm (laughs) in on Matt Olson from one of those perspectives. I mean, I, I I did have him in, as a as a second rounder in my redraft. So I mean, to a certain extent, I guess I'm in on him as a fantasy from a fantasy perspective too. But no, I mean, look, I I feel like I have a responsibility to have a certain number of baseball themed shirts to wear on this podcast, so that it. You know, I don't, have, I don't have the baseball decor behind me. I have my grandmother's living room behind me. <laughs> it's not really my grandmother's living room. That's just what people call it. It's actually my own living room, believe it or not. But because of that, I have to, uh, I have to make it, you know, festive in other ways. And that's with the occasional baseball-themed T-shirt. Shout out to roto Yes, for sure. I, I paid my own good money for it, but they make a good
0: product. <laughs> They sure do. No, they actually do. And I was talking with uh, Kenny Cashman, who uh, runs Vertaware. He does a great job. I was talking with him out at First Pitch Florida, and he's a great dude. And I had a lot of fun talking to him and yes, support his product because I think he does a great job. Scott, I, too, am wearing a baseball shirt. You might not realize it. It just looks like a tie dye shirt. But there is a team logo just below where you can see. Would you like to guess what
1: team this is? The New York Yankees. No, it's not the Yankees. Oh, it's Yankees colors. It's uh, very, it's very like, boring for tie dye. It's like a black tie dye shirt, you know? Uh, Completely random. <laughs> Colorado Rockies. <Okay. laughs>
0: I, I don't know why. I saw it somewhere on the internet. I, I get sucked into these like Instagram ads, and then I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty cool shirt. And I just wind up buying it. So, anywho, uh, that's where we're at. Let's jump in. All right, Scott, my oh my, oh my goodness gracious, player of the
1: night. I guess I have to go with Nick Pavetta here, the Olive Garden breadstick of the day. 12, oh, not 12 no-hit innings, that would be crazy. (laughs) Six no-hit innings against the Athletics in Oakland. Struck out 12 in those six no-hit innings. Interestingly, it wasn't a quality start because it wasn't a start at all. He followed an opener. (laughs) and gave the Red Sox six no-hit innings with 12 strikeouts. Pretty amazing there for Nick Pavetta. Uh, Some of the other stats, 18 swinging strikes on 87 pitches. Very impressive. Eight of them on the fastball itself. You know I always like that. His last four appearances, none of them starts, but the shortest of those four appearances was three and a third inning. So he's kind of become like this bulk reliever, basically providing starter workload, but technically not starting. In in the in his last four appearances like that, Nick Pavetta has a 2.45 ERA, a 0.76 WHIP, and 16.2 K per nine. Jeez. I tried to figure out what's going on, what's changed for him. I didn't see much. Velocity's up a little, specific uh, most most notably on the slider, but even that hasn't been consistent. Terribly consistent over those last four appearances, and, and yet the production has been really good. You know, you, you you go back a few years, and Nick Pavetta was the the uh, kind of the the trendy breakout pick in fantasy, the the mid round starting pitcher. This is back when he was on the Phillies, the mid round starting pitcher that everybody had to have. So uh, maybe he's starting to live up to that long lost potential. Is Nick Pavetta? I'm very skeptical, but you got to point out what's going on with them because it's been pretty impressive.
0: Indeed it has. Um, I know it's obviously correlated here with his uh, move to the bullpen. You mentioned he's been throwing a few more innings recently. He's gone four plus innings in relief in his last three outings. So getting a few more opportunities, he allows a lot of hard contact, but lots of strikeouts, lots of swinging strikes recently for Nick Pavetta. He's 25% rostered. I'm just trying to figure out what's his utility for fantasy at this point, right? Scott? It's got, it's,
1: It's a wait and see. It's it's a wait and see unless you play in a very deep league.
0: Yeah. So it's probably AL only maybe a 15 team mixed roto league, something like that. But outside of that, it's let's see where it goes from here. Nick Pavetta. But obviously it was a fantastic outing here against the A's 13 strikeouts and 18 swinging strikes for him as was Griffin canning a great outing up against the Yankees. Well, Mixed outing. Let's go with mixed outing because lots of strikeouts, but you know, it wasn't the most efficient, I guess you could say five and two thirds innings, two runs allowed, three walks, 12 strikeouts, 20 swinging strikes on a career high, 120 pitches. The angels bullpen apparently has been used a ton recently this past weekend. So, uh, they needed to ride Griffin canning. They left him out there threw a bunch of pitches. Also got a bunch of strikeouts against, you know, a lowly Yankees lineup right now. It's, uh, Without Aaron Judge, they obviously have not been very good, but did a few things differently in this one. He faded his changeup, mostly four-seam fastball and slider for Griffin Canning. His last two starts before this were not very good. You know, this is a great start, Scott, but I I don't know how actionable it is because you look at the grand scheme, right, for Canning, and it's a 4.52 ERA and a 123 whip. He's up over a strikeout per inning. Um, you know, he gets swings and misses, but I think he's probably just in that matchup streamer category for now unless until we see more consistency, at least.
1: Yeah. And a difficult one says he's in a six man rotation. I I, right. I noticed uh, I think our own site had him listed as a two star. I guess it depends what you mean is a by our own site. My two star pitcher rankings that I published did not have him listed as a two star pitcher since he's part of a six man rotation. But I, if you if you look at the little ball indicators on the on the Seth <laughs> lineups page, they did show griffin canning as a two-star pitcher and so you may have started him and if, and if so it worked out because he delivered this good start but i i don't think he's making a second start this week i do love a good swing strike rate that is something griffin canning has long showed a knack for but otherwise yeah i mean not 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 providing a lot to get excited about otherwise you know, nine base runners and five and two thirds innings, even in this start, very high whip for for all those strikeouts that he got. So I I agree. I think there is a potential outcome for Griffin Canning that's worthwhile, but it hasn't he he hasn't shown enough this year for me to make him for me to move in on him, despite this twelve strikeout performance.
0: Yeah, we've talked about him a few times this year where. You know, Griffin Canning kind of pops up here and there with these pretty good starts, but overall he is allowing a lot of hard contact this season, so when he's not getting whiffs, he is getting uh, hit hard. I did want to quickly look into his pitch mix. Um, Yeah, the is really good, but everything else is kind of blah. All right, we'll watch it. We'll see where it goes from here with Griffin Canning. Wanted to quickly touch on the pitcher on the other side of that game, and it was Luis Severino. Just wanted to point out some things that I thought were kind of interesting in this one. Uh, obviously, it's his best start in a while. Six innings of one-run ball, three strikeouts to three walks, but he had 13 swinging strikes on 98 pitches and five of them came on the slider, which I thought was interesting because we've talked about how the slider has been really bad for Luis Severino for most of the season and he used that pitch more. He nearly doubled the slider usage in this start. Mentioned the five whiffs, a 45% whiff rate. 38 percent csw on that pitch so i think it's just kind of a wait and see for now scott 71 percent rostered so some people are out are out dropping luis severino which i think is fine with how bad he's been um but if mm-hmm. this slider
1: continues to well we know, told everybody to do that for Grayson rodriguez so.
0: yeah, yeah and i think rightfully so but if this slider you know continues to work out over his next couple of starts then maybe severino could get you know back into a a groove here i guess
1: Yeah, so what was interesting about his pitch selection and and usage was the cutter because normally it was up 2.7 miles per hour just in terms of individual pitch characteristics. That was the biggest difference I saw for Luis Severino in this one, nearly three miles per hour up on that cutter. Uh, And also the spin rate was much lower, which is interesting because usually when velocity goes up, so does spin rate. When velocity goes down, so does spin rate. But... They went opposite directions, way up on the velocity, way down on the spin rate. The spin rate, the the, the new spin rate on that cutter, very close to matching the slider. Uh, Still a separation on the velocity even more because the velocity was up on the cutter, as I said. But I wonder if those changes that he made to the cutter made it look more like the slider. And that helped the slider to play up. So of the 13 swinging strikes... Severino got five came on the slider, four came on the cutter, nine of the thirteen on those two pitches. And so maybe that is maybe that's something that can fuel the turnaround for Severino. I, I agree. I'm I'm not looking to get him back in my lineup yet. His previous seven starts at nine forty eight ERA. Ugh. But this was, you know, the the most encouraging start we've seen from him in a long time.
0: And Luis Severino is slated to face the Royals this weekend. So as we've mentioned many times, right-handed pitchers, really anybody, against the Royals have performed pretty well, so uh, if he makes it two good starts in a row, then who knows? Maybe we're, you know, slowly gaining a little confidence here in Luis Severino. I guess let's just stick with that game and kind of get all of it out of the way. Shohei Otani, clutch two-run home run late in that one, and Scott, did you have the pleasure of watching the bat flip on that home run yet? No, that, ju- that like, just happened, right? It was, yeah, maybe 20, 30 minutes ago, something like that, but just do a quick Twitter search because All right. <laughs> that bat flip was tremendous stuff. There, uh, game is currently tied in the ninth inning, so we'll see uh, what happens between yeah. the Yankees and the Angels. Got
1: a, got a lot of vertical, a lot of rotation on that bat flip. <laughs> Good stuff there. It wasn't. It wasn't like a. It wasn't like a Jose Bautista, you know, which was more like a bat spike. You know, like he was spiking a football. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that kind of bat flip.
0: No, it was, it was the one where you kind of take the knob and you flip it backwards yeah and it's like just you're kinda... a baton
1: twirler leading <laughs> yeah. the parade
0: good stuff there from Otani his league leading 35th home run of the season let's talk about some pitching returns Shane O'Mac
1: here comes the money
0: here we go money talk,
1: talk here comes the money
0: Shane McClanahan turns in a quality start in his return at the Texas Rangers six innings of two run ball with six strikeouts and zero walks. He had 11 swinging strikes on 69 pitches. Before the start, his manager, Kevin Cash, said that uh, Shane McClanahan would not be limited, but they only let him throw 69 pitches. They got their six innings out of him. I guess they were you know, just pleased with that. The velocity was up in this one. Fastball up nearly one mile per hour. The curve was up two miles per hour. The slider was up three miles per hour. So all in all, Scott, I would say this was a pretty encouraging return for Shane O'Mac.
1: Yeah. I was happy to see it. And, you know, the fact it came at Texas and their juggernaut of a lineup, I think, makes it all the more impressive. So, successful return. And uh, I I imagine you you got them back active anyway, but this is all the more reason to if you haven't yet.
0: Speaking of that Rangers lineup, before this start, they ranked second in all of baseball in WOBA against left-handed pitching, so... Uh, Yeah, this was a very tough matchup, and Shane McClanahan looked great in his return. Could the same thing be said for Grayson Rodriguez? Let's talk about it. Five plus innings pitched. He uh, got left out there into the sixth inning, and at the time, he allowed two earned runs, and he left with two runners on base. And unfortunately, Orioles reliever, I think it was Brian Baker would later give up a grand slam. So uh, the final line for Grace Rodriguez, five plus innings, four runs allowed, four strikeouts with 10 swinging strikes on 91 pitches. The good here, the velocity was up across the board, his fastball up 1.2 miles per hour, his slider up 2.4 miles per hour, spin rates also up across the board. Um, The bad here still allowed a lot of hard contact. That was a very big problem for Grace Rodriguez earlier Along with the lack of control, it was a lot of hard contact. He gave up eight hard hits in this game. 91.9 average exit velocity against. Uh, did manage to throw 65% of his pitches for strikes. I think that was encouraging for Grayson Rodriguez as well. Scott, overall, your thoughts here on uh, the complete package in his return against the Dodgers?
1: Well, I, I hoped for more. Obviously, you always hope for the best. But... There's enough encouraging here that I'm not going to abandon ship if I picked up Grayson Rodriguez. As you mentioned, the velocity was up significantly across the board. Let's see. Fastball and changeup. Re- really, he 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 mostly threw fastballs and changeups. Between the two pitches, 82%. Yeah, And the velocity was up 1.2 miles per hour on both. His third most used pitch was a slider, which was up 2.4 miles per hour. He only threw it eight times, though, and I think that might... That might be an adjustment he needs to make because he has a deep arsenal. I know one of the things he was sent down to work on was the shape of his breaking pitches. That that may have been something that suffered with the uh the lat injury that he suffered last June. Remember I, I mentioned yesterday he hadn't until that until that return stint in the minors in this, this June, he hadn't looked like himself since that lat injury last June and he basically said the same thing after this start. Grayson Rodriguez said he felt a little more confident coming into the game and that that time back at AAA Norfolk helped him get back to the pitcher that I know I am but the pitcher that I know he is can throw the slider a lot more than that could throw a curveball too and that might help to reduce some of the, the hard contact. That said you know it was, it was his first start back He he, he might have been taking it a little easy not wanting, to, not wanting to do too much, just wanting to get, you know, to, to find his comfort zone in the majors, something that he hadn't found yet. And he was facing a really good Dodgers lineup. So, like I said, en- enough positive here from Grayson Rodriguez that uh, I, I definitely want to see more. But it wasn't the best case scenario, clearly.
0: Yeah, we are obviously a hold on Grayson Rodriguez. Let's see where he goes from here as well. Let's talk about all those other prospects, which we mentioned on yesterday's podcast. The Reds game, unfortunately, got suspended in the eighth inning, but we did get some at-bats. Obviously, we got a lineup card out of the Reds. Uh, What happened with Christian Encarnacion-Strand in the lineup? Spencer Steer got the day off. Thought that was interesting. Ellie De La Cruz moved up to leadoff in the lineup. Matt McClain was batting third. Jonathan India was dropped to fifth and then he went uh, three for three with his 14th home run, so nice little outing there for him. And then Encarnacion Tran was batting seventh in this one. He was the DH, and he went 0 for two. He had a ground ball uh, out, 93.4 exit velocity, and then a lazy fly ball, but uh, I thought it was interesting, Scott. I wonder if, kind of what I said about yesterday, where maybe Steer gets one day off a week, Vado gets a day off here or there, India gets Mm -hmm. a day off, and it'll just be a rotation just so that they can, you know, get Christian Kornacio on train those at bats, obviously.
1: Yeah, the the player who who complicates the picture is is Will Benson, who's come on recently and performed well, uh, gotten on base a lot, hit for power, eight sixty two OPS. That was the third highest OPS in the Reds lineup today. I don't know that I believe in Will Benson long term, but you know, there was a time not too long ago where I. I, I would have said T.J. Friedel was about to fade hard, and that still hasn't happened. I, I think what Will Benson has done so far earns him at least a semi-regular role for the foreseeable future. And so that's what that's what led to Spencer Steer being bumped from the lineup in this one. I don't I don't think Spencer Steer's out of a job or anything like that. I think I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching until somebody gets hurt or fades. Again, I think Benson is the most likely candidate to fade, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, does that mean Encarnacion Strand himself doesn't play quite every day? I imagine so. I imagine he'll be the one out of the lineup sometimes, but as as usual with this situation, if he performs like we expect him to, then that'll stop and he'll just be playing a ton.
0: Yeah. Speaking of this red situation, it kind of makes me think of the Orioles too because we've been receiving some questions and. They just have a glut of players right now, too. Jordan Westberg hasn't started the past two days. Colton Cowser only started one game over the weekend as well. So they kind of have their issues too. With you know Ryan O'Hearn coming along, he's been playing well. Aaron Hicks has been playing well. Um, they have a lot of dud bats, though. <laughs> they, have,
1: yeah. they have they have players they insist on starting, even though I don't see the justification for it. Unlike in the case of Will Benson, but yes, they have they have crowded out some interesting bats even if it isn't as deserved as in the Reds' case.
0: Yeah. How did the Pirates prospects do in their debuts? Um, Not so good. Andy Rodriguez was batting seventh in the lineup. He went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Leover Paguero was batting ninth for the Pirates. He went 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. Uh, That's actually not Paguero's debut. He debuted last year, but first time we've seen him this year. And Quinn Priester, he started well and then, Fell apart, unfortunately. Up against the Guardians, five and a third innings, seven hits, seven runs allowed. He gave up two homers. He had seven swinging strikes on 73 pitches. He threw six different pitches in the arsenal here. Uh, Curveball had a solid spin rate. I know that's been touted as his best pitch, but obviously he's got a pretty bad outing, and I don't think we're doing much with uh, Quinn Priester after this one.
1: No, I wasn't that interested in picking him up in the first place, and this obviously didn't change that. Uh, I, I would say the most interesting of those three by far is still Indy Rodriguez. And there are major questions for him too. But one, one question has seemingly been answered here. Uh, his manager said that he will get the majority of the starts behind the plate and that Austin Hedges is only going to start a couple times a week. So Indy Rodriguez appears to be the Pirates catcher for now if it hits so poorly. He's not a great defender, as I understand it, certainly not good at controlling the running game, so he needs to hit to stick around, and as I said, that was an issue for him at AAA this year, but he's shown the ability to hit well in in previous minor league seasons, and the Pirates are obviously hopeful. Uh, Not a good debut, but in two catcher leagues, I would say, Andy Rodriguez needs to be rostered.
0: All right, let's take our first break. And when we return, we'll talk about some waiver wire hitters, the dropo meter and much more right after this.
1: MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira.
0: The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here.
1: And this season takes it to a whole new level. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus go to Paramount Plus to try it free terms apply
0: welcome back and the attacking third started out in the CBS Sports podcast family and this week became a full-fledged show on the CBS Sports Galazzo Network. If you want all the latest in women's soccer, including comprehensive coverage of the U.S. Women's National Team in the World Cup, tune into Attacking Third three times a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Galazzo Network. And if you missed that, don't worry, that show is still distributed to all your favorite podcast platforms. Let's talk some waiver wire hitters here, Scott, and we'll start off with Jamer Candelario, who went two for four with his 14th home run after missing the previous three games with a thumb injury. And he's quietly put together a solid season, 263 batting average, 14 home runs, five steals, and 826 OPS for Candelario, 66% rostered. Do you think that number needs to be higher? Because at that point, we're probably just looking at a must-roster player in Candelario.
1: I mean, I don't have a lot of confidence in it continuing. I still see him as more of like a corner infield type in Roto Leagues than somebody I want as my third baseman. And so that roster rate is, I guess, appropriate considering. Um, For instance, I'd rather have Christian Encarnacion Strand than him. And Encarnacion Strand, I was only, I think I got him like 18th in my third base rankings rest of season. Like it's, it's kind of a crowded position. You know, for for all the concerns over the the how shallow it was coming into the year, it's it's definitely been the deeper of the two corner infield positions.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I moved Candelario up quite a bit last week and I still only got him up to 24th in my third base rankings, too. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I've got Incarnacion Strand at 19. I mentioned yesterday just behind Matt Chapman. But, you know, if you wanted to take Incarnacion Strand over Chapman, I, I think that's totally fine to do. The uh, fact, you have
1: Matt Chapman 18th. Yeah, he's been bad. I, I understand he hasn't <laughs> hit many home runs since April, but still, he's Matt Chapman. Yeah, yeah. It's just ripped the name
0: off the back of the jersey at this point in the season, right, Scott? It's just, you know, you got to go yeah. with uh, whoever's performing. And someone who performed on Monday was Caber Ruiz, who went three for three with his 11th home run. He is batting 235 with a 679 OPS frankly, more power this season than I thought he was going to provide. Uh, He only has a 9% strikeout rate this season, which I think has fueled these expected stats, Scott, because the XBA 277, that looks very good. The X-Slug 451, that looks great for Cabert Ruiz. But I think those numbers are inflated because of how low Cabert Ruiz's strikeout rate is. Uh, This is now two seasons in a row where he's vastly underperformed these expected numbers. He just might be one of those players. Does that make sense? Are you buying my
1: theory here? I mean, he makes some weak contact. Mm. And I was saying on yesterday's show, I'm to the point where I think quality of contact is the most important single measure in a hitter. It's not the only measure that matters, but it is the single most important. So um, I think... uh, you know what? His quality of contact isn't quite as bad as I thought. 50th percentile for max exit velocity, 36th percentile for average exit velocity. I mean, it's not good, but it's, you know, a, a third of the league is worse in terms of average exit velocity. That's what that's what percentile rankings are. I guess I'll just put it this way. Keeper Ruiz is a fine emergency choice at catcher in points leagues because of how little he strikes at. And uh, obviously, he's worth rostering in two catcher leagues just because there's a lot of catcher spots to fill.
0: Yep. I'm looking at the rankings now. You and I both have Caber Ruiz ranked exactly at 16 at catcher. So he's a high end catcher, too. But, you know, I don't know that there's much upside, uh, at least now, for Caber Ruiz. Two middle infielders that performed quite well on Monday Oswald Peraza, we mentioned, recalled by the Yankees. On Sunday, he got the chance to hit lead off, and last I saw, was performing quite well. He had a hit, he had three walks, and his fourth stolen base of the season. He's eighteen percent rostered. The other name is Edward Julian, who went three for four with a walk and his second steal. Currently batting the quietest, two ninety eight with an eight ninety eight OPS. Uh, does strike out baby. a lot? Yeah, look, he's been really good against righties, but. That it, it kind of I guess the analysis kind of ends starts and ends there because the Minnesota Twins, they're not gonna play him against lefties. They probably shouldn't, based on how bad he's been against lefties and the minors as well. Um, but when he plays against righties, he's really good. He's kind of I, like Jock Peterson at the second base position. I don't know. Is that who'd you rather have, Scott? Edward Julian or Oswald Peraza?
1: <laughs> I'd rather have Julian. I've been I've been the loudest supporter of Julian. And yeah, the strikeout rate is very high high enough that I'd, I'd pretty much point it out for any other hitter. But look, as far as lefties, righties, you know, how much will he strike out? He's he's a rookie, let's not forget. I understand he's been up m- multiple times just this year, but he's a rookie and his career could go in all sorts of directions from here. We don't really know. This is an encouraging start to it, though. He's providing power and know uh, base skills at second base. And because of those on base skills, he's batting high in the lineup against righties. Maybe the maybe the strikeout rate, if it continues, will sink him. But as things stand now, Edward Julian looks like the the best hitter the Twins have. So I, that's only going to increase the pressure to keep him in the lineup as they tried to hold on to first place in the AL Central. Uh, so I think, I think he's pretty good. I think there's a chance he gets even better. Like, it it would be hard to improve that batting average in OPS, but like, he gets bet he he improves in other ways that make that batting average in OPS more believable, I guess is how I'd put it.
0: Yeah, probably Um. in terms of like what quality of contact and things like that. Right.
1: And and how much contact he makes. Yeah. Peraza, I mean, the fact he was batting leadoff and starting at third base, and the report today that Josh Donaldson might be out for the season, those are all good signs for his value, too. I mean, he would. He looked like the big walks guy today, with three of them. Right.
0: Actually, update: four walks for Oswald oh, wow. Peraza.
1: So he's the he's the French Emperor of walks. The name doesn't really work as well for him as for Julian. But and he brings an element of speed that Julian doesn't really. I think the I think the I know he hit for power in the minors. Did Peraza? I, I think it's more questionable whether he will in the majors. But I. I I, I certainly understand the the incentives to, to pick up Oswald Peraza at this point. If you need speed specifically, he's probably your guy between the two. Overall, though, I would say I like Julian more.
0: And I hope I'm wrong about Julian because, yeah, I'm being a little bit harsh on him. If he's this good against righties, then it really might not matter what he does against left-handed pitching. So we'll, we'll see um, where the playing time goes for him. I think as a result, I, I would probably lean with Peraza because I think I trust the playing time a little bit more, and obviously he comes with some prospect pedigree as well. But both guys uh, look like they're going to be pretty good moving forward. Last name on this list, and we spoke about him a lot recently, just wanted to mention what he did once again on Monday. Dane Myers went three for four with a run, scored. Back-to-back three-hit games, and he now has multiple hits in six of his first 10 games with the Marlins here. uh, 15% rostered. Again, the name Dane Myers, someone you can look at in deeper five outfielder leagues. So, if you want to add players, who are we dropping, Scott? It's time to fire up the dropo meter. 10 on the dropo meter means you can drop this player in all leagues. One, you want to hold in all leagues. So, let's see where we fall on some of these guys. Emmett Sheehan. Do we need to hold on to Emmett Sheehan? He was at the Orioles. He allowed four runs over five innings pitched. He had more walks than strikeouts, three walks to two strikeouts, only four swinging strikes, and at this moment he's made five starts, a 4.91 ERA, a 1.17 WHIP, 6.3 K per nine, 3.9 walks per nine, 10% swinging strike rate. So, I know he had those first two starts, Scott, that were really good. It was the first one was a you know six no hit innings, um, still 70% rostered. How are you feeling about Emmett Sheehan?
1: Not great, Bob. Agreed. I expected a lot more swing and this, And uh, uh, as I was saying for Edward Julian, he's a rookie. His career could go in so many different ways from here. I think it's unfair to to judge the kind of pitcher, to, to judge based on what we've seen so far, the kind of pitcher Sheehan's going to be for like the rest of his career. So in Dynasty Leagues, I'm not suggesting you bail on him or anything like that. The, the Dodgers obviously hurried him to the big leagues because he was so dominant at double a and and very briefly at triple a right he just had a quick layover there before coming up to the majors i think the clincher with sheehan is that he is already at kind of a breaking point with the innings i was actually writing about uh pitchers with innings concerns just earlier today. So this is fresh on my mind. I've, I've, I've just done the research. So he's already at 74 seventy four innings as Sheehan between the majors and minors this year. Last year, he threw 68. 68's his career high. So he's, he's already exceeded his career high in innings and we have almost half a season to go still. If, if they want Sheehan to be part of their postseason plans, the Dodgers, they're, they're probably going to have to move him to the bullpen sooner than later. So, between that and the lack of strikeouts we've seen, I would give sheehan let's call him let's call him a five on the dropo meter i may I may bump that number up depending on how depending on how I score some of the rest of these players gotta get a it's it's hard to calibrate it right off the bat.
0: would you drop him for Grayson Rodriguez yes, okay Grayson Rodriguez is up to. rostered. He was the second most added pitcher from the weekend. Uh, Another starter coming in just a little bit that I'll ask you about, but I'm going to wait on that one. Josh Lowe went two for three with his 13th home run. That was just his second home run since May 22nd. So uh, it's been kind of a power drought here for Josh Lowe. During that stretch, 40 games played, only batting 235 the two home runs, 10 steals. Obviously, that helps, but the strikeout rate has climbed to 32% over that 40 game stretch. He's still 91% rostered. Should he be? Where is Josh Lowe on the dropo meter?
1: Obviously, lower in five outfielder leagues. I, I feel like you have to give two separate scores at this position. So, five outfielder leagues, I'll put it at a three. Which yeah. is not nothing. I was going to say two, but yeah, that's... That sounds um, right. and, and in three outfielder leagues, I'll put Josh Lowe at like a a nine. I mean, I he could get hot again like he was earlier this season and everybody's picking him up, but playing for the Rays puts him at a real disadvantage. This was only his fourth start in July. So...
0: I know there was something going on.
1: I think he... bereavement
0: list or something like that. He was away from the team yeah. for a little bit.
1: Okay. Yeah he does he does sit more regularly than you'd like though either way right and so uh okay i'll i'll make it more like a 8 in three outfielder leagues then but mm-hmm. need to see a lot more of this to uh to get interested in starting him again in that format
0: the most added outfielder on cbs is jared Duran. would you make that move i know he's heated back up but he also is not playing every day
1: yeah right and i i do think i I like Lowe's skill set overall more i mean if it was a if it was a question of I need somebody to start this week should i should i drop low for Duran to so that I have somebody to start for this week okay, but if it's just who's going to have who's going to be better rest of season i'll I'll bet on low still
0: Mackenzie gore has been struggling for quite some time now he Went into Chicago facing the Cubs, six and a third innings, five runs allowed, did have six strikeouts, also gave up two home runs in this game. Um, His fastball velocity was actually down 1.2 miles per hour, which is not good for Mackenzie Gore because he relies on his fastball a lot. More than 60% of the time has Mackenzie Gore thrown his fastball this season. And over his last seven starts, he has a 647 ERA and a 1.5 whip, still 74% rostered. Scott, Mackenzie Gore on the dropometer.
1: That's pretty much a 10, I would say. 5 runs or more in four of his last seven starts. The ERA's high, the whip's high. He's going to come up on innings issues soon himself. So, I do think there's potential there. Obviously still early in his career. Has shown a lot of strikeout ability, but Not much faith in Mackenzie Gore right now. Would you
0: drop Mackenzie Gore or Emmett Sheehan for Matt Manning, who has thrown two strong starts in a row? He uh, was at the Royals on Monday, five and two-thirds innings, two unearned runs, only three strikeouts. Uh, What do you think, Scott? Would you drop Gore or Sheehan for Matt Manning?
1: You know, I actually wouldn't, but it has less to do with (laughs) Gore and Sheehan than just a lack of interest in Matt Manning. Okay, so he had a good start against the Royals, you know, as a right-handed pitcher, in which he struck out only three.
0: But six no-hit innings against the Blue Jays.
1: Yeah. It's a fluke.
0: <laughs> All right, so we're not making that move. I tried, Matt Manning, if you're out there listening. Last name on this list on the drop-off meter: Lars bar We haven't talked about him in quite some time. 22 games since coming off the IL. He is batting 253 with two home runs and a 24% strikeout rate. The problem for Newtbar this year has been ground balls. He's hitting way too many ground balls. 54% last year, 44% ground ball rate, and uh, Nupar has kind of been banged up all season. He had a thumb injury back in April, uh, a back injury which landed him on the IL in June. And as we've seen with guys like Christian Yelich, back injuries can affect your launch angle and you know could affect uh, your ability to lift the ball. So I wonder if maybe that's something that's kind of lingering for Lars Nupar. He's down to 62% roster. Scott, where is Nupar on the dropometer? meter
1: So in a five outfielder league, probably like a, Two. I'd I'd be more likely to would I be more likely to drop Josh Lowe than him? I guess I shouldn't be. We'll downgrade Lowe to a two in five outfielder <laughs> leagues too. <laughs> all, right. all right. So um new bar in in three outfielder leagues. Uh I guess I'll give him the same. Yeah, I'll just give him the same score as Josh Lowe all around. Eight eight in three outfielder leagues, two in five outfielder leagues. I do think he's more startable than Josh Lowe right now. He's actually had a strong month of July so far. Entered Monday batting 289, two homers, um, 11 runs scored in 13 games. So, he's he's been better recently and you know there's still a chance he comes around and lives up to our expectation. By the way, I was talking about how a few years ago Nick Pavetta was the mid-round target at starting pitcher that everybody had to have in fantasy and it didn't work out. This year, remember, the mid-round targets everybody had to have in fantasy were like Vinny Pasquantino. He kind of got pushed into the early rounds even. Yeah. And Lars Nupar. That's true. And neither of them panned out. Now, I still have, like, I'm definitely going to be in on Vinny Pasquantino again next year. As for Nupar, you know, we'll see how the rest of the year goes. It's not like I'm abandoning them. But this, I I have been wanting to make this point for a long time. So now's, now's when I'm choosing to do it. They are exactly why you don't reach for your guys. Because I was not—I was very high on both coming in Pasquantino and Nupar. So was everybody else. It turned out I was frustrated that I was never able to draft them. I got Pasquantino once in an auction league. I think I got Nupar twice across all my leagues, and I was targeting them every draft. I was hoping to get them every draft. It's just like there was always. I, I wasn't willing to, to pay up for them. I wasn't willing to reach for them to get my guys. And, I mean, look what's happened. Good thing I didn't. And so, like, you know, that, that, that's something I try to abide by. When you're considering all the ways you can help your fantasy team, all, all the, the tools in your toolbox for building a fantasy team, player evaluation which is what we spend most of our time on, right? Is this player good? Is this player bad? How, you know, how good is he going to be this year? Where does he rank? All that stuff. That's not nearly as important as process. So we spend way more time on it, but it's not nearly as important. And, and, and like I, I feel like personally, and I, I imagine most people are this way, when you're just guessing on how a player is going to perform this upcoming season, you're going to be wrong a ton. And so, like, you shouldn't be so set in, on, on specific players that you end up throwing out process. And, and like I said, Nupar and Pasquantino are cases in point.
0: Let's quickly hit some news and notes. There wasn't much going on on Monday because everything happened over the weekend. Rafael Devers was out of the lineup due to right calf tightness and is considered day to day. Cedric Mullins has missed three straight due to right quad tightness. Doesn't sound like he'll need an IL stint, however. That's the good news. Salvador Perez has been diagnosed with a grade one plus left hamstring strain. It sounds like the Royals are optimistic he'll avoid the IL, but will likely miss the next couple days. The Cardinals plan to activate Tyler O'Neill from the I.L. on Tuesday. Manager Oliver Mar- Marmol also said that O'Neill would be the team's everyday left fielder, which sounds like it's bad news for Alec Burleson and Dylan Carlson moving forward. Wade Miley was placed in the I.L. with left elbow discomfort. Colin Ray is the likely candidate to make uh, Miley's next scheduled start Tuesday against the Phillies. Hunter Harvey was placed in the I.L., with a right elbow sprain. Kyle Finnegan is likely to step back into the Nationals' closer role. In fact, he picked up a save here on Monday. Yandy Diaz is back from the paternity list, which, of course, meant Jonathan Aranda was optioned back to AAA. And Josh Donaldson has been diagnosed with a high-grade strain in his right calf that could keep him out for the rest of the season. Let's take our final break.
1: So, wait, 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 real quick. Jonathan Aranda has started has started coming into Monday. Jonathan Aranda had started four of the Rays past five games. And he was optioned twice during that five-game stretch. (laughs) Like, just keep him around. You obviously want to play him. It's uh, it's so stupid.
0: Welcome to Tampa Bay, These are the issues constantly uh, with that team. Let's take our final break. And when we return, uh, I've got an email from a listener named Scott. But it's not Scott White. We'll do that right after this. Welcome back and a quick reminder to join our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group. It is free and you can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash Today, or just log on to Facebook and search up Fantasy Baseball Today and you'll be able to find it. You can hop in, ask your question, whatever it might be, waiver wire, trade, dynasty, keeper, and uh, interact with some of the listeners of the show. Again, our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group. For free, make sure to join up. We got an email from a listener named Scott, and he asked, can you guys discuss why Logan Gilbert is so inconsistent and why his home road splits are making him borderline unstartable at home? He's been so good when he's dialed in and on the road, but becoming very frustrating. So let's talk about Logan Gilbert, who faced the Minnesota Twins at home, obviously, he allowed two runs over five innings pitch, gave up seven hits and one walk, five strikeouts, only eight swinging strikes on 94 pitches, but a I would say pretty consistent problem for Logan Gilbert in his career. Nine hard hits allowed. 93.7 average exit velocity. Uh The claim about the splits, his home splits aren't so bad, actually. 421 ERA in eight uh starts at home. It's obviously not egregious or anything, but, Scott, I do think that He is inconsistent, Logan Gilbert is, because it's something Chris talks about a lot with George Kirby. The Mariners, I think, just want their pitchers to throw strikes, and throw a lot of them. And as a result, yeah, you'll keep the walks down, but you're gonna give up a lot of hits, and you could fall into giving up a lot of hard contact. And that's what we've seen from Logan Gilbert. I mean, look at his fastball this year. 297 batting average against, 516 slug. All of his secondary pitches are under a 200- batting average this year. So I I don't know why he doesn't just kind of use the secondaries more, but your latest thoughts on, uh, Logan Gilbert and his inconsistencies.
1: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm never going to begrudge a pitcher for throwing strikes and avoiding walks. I think that's, I think that like that, that's, that's, that's something I want to see pitchers do too. Um,
0: I think it, I think there's a fine line though. At times, Scott, you know, like if you get two strikes, you don't just have to pour one in there. Obviously, you can try and get them to expand the zone a little bit. But
1: well, I, I mean, maybe his pitch selection could improve because he has he has uh, four pitches that he throws about fifteen percent of the time or more. It's a pretty deep arsenal, and apart from the fastball, the other three pitches all have a batting average under two hundred. So like. You know, maybe he's just grooving a fastball when a, a better pitch would would work better in, in certain circumstances. I, there's a lot to work with here. I I, I think overall Logan Gilbert's had an encouraging uh, follow up season. And um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't sweat the home home away thing so much either. I mean, part of it's just he's one and four at home versus six and one on the road. And, and if you play in a points league, you're, you feel those wins and losses a lot more. And so that that makes it worse. But the whip is fantastic at home. The strikeout rate even better than on the road. Like you said, the ERA is not that high, not so high that you you think something something weird's going on, um, as opposed to it just being happenstance. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't sweat Logan Gilbert so much. A lot of people have much bigger problems <laughs> on their pitching staff than him. I. I agree that if you just look at the strikeout-to-walk ratio, you kind of feel like his numbers should be better, and and certainly all the ERA estimators, XERA, FIP, XFIP, suggest his numbers should be better too. But they're not. His actual ERA isn't that far off. I, I think he's. I think he's fine for the most part.
0: Logan Gilbert has been. If you just look at the the macro level view, three sixty five ERA, one hundred one WHIP, almost a strikeout per inning. That that's a quality pitchers, so uh, I know, you know, inconsistencies are frustrating for fantasy, but for the most part, um, he's been a useful pitcher this year. That is Logan Gilbert. Let's quickly talk about three players we haven't talked about in a while, Scott, and just kind of acknowledging what they're doing this season. Josh Naylor continues to hit very well, two for five with his 13th home run. He's batting 310 with 69 RBI and an 856 OPS, He's hitting the ball hard this year. The expected numbers look great for Josh Naylor. He is currently the fifth best first baseman in Roto, averaging 3.2 fantasy points per game, tied for seventh at the position. Um, I don't know that either of us saw this coming, Scott, but it has been a a huge leap this season for Josh Naylor.
1: I mean, he's been such a slow burn in terms of development. Like I remember when he was an exciting call-up for the Padres, but it was like, (laughs) So long ago, <laughs> and and now he's gotten to this point where he's a must-start first baseman, which is great. I mean, I've had trouble, I've had trouble reacting to this because I've known so much uh, disappointment with Josh Naylor over the years. But I, you know, it's it's time to move him ahead of like the Anthony Rizzo's and the, the oh, yeah. Nate Lowe's in my first base rankings. Get him up into the top ten at that position where I've talked about. It's hard to find good. Talent. He's starting against left-handers. He's performing against left-handers. His expected stats are basically in line with his actual stats. Doesn't strike out much. Yeah, it's hard to find. It's hard to find much to complain about with Josh Naylor at this point.
0: Speaking of moving up the rankings, Logan Webb, uh, before the rain delay, had a strong start at the Reds. Seven innings, two runs, seven strikeouts in this one, and he is uh, at a three eleven ERA, a one oh eight WHIP just over a strike up inning, great control this year. The walks are down, the ground ball rate looks fantastic, and without even talking about it Scott, we both moved Logan Webb up to our SP14 recently
1: and it's certainly deserved with how well he's pitched. We did not confer on that. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's been he's just been so reliable, you know, and we've talked a lot this year about how even the high-end pitchers have not been reliable by and large. So, You know, it it feels a bit reactive to say, oh, well, he's he's done well and keeps doing well, so I'm going to trust him more. But here we are. Here we are indeed. Last name on this list, Brian Reynolds. Remember
0: that April he had where he was amazing? Well, since the start of May, we're talking about 53 games now. Brian Reynolds is betting 232 with four home runs, three steals, still hitting the ball hard, uh he went on the IL with lower back inflammation in June. So wonder if that's something that's maybe hampered him for quite some time now, Scott. But I mean this is a pretty big sample. We're talking about a third of the season now where Brian Reynolds has hit two thirty-two. Is it time to maybe uh push him down the rankings?
1: Yeah, maybe it's not so impressive that Jake Fraley's <laughs> outscored him in points leagues, huh? Uh yeah, I don't been a frustrating player over the past few years. And I, mean, I, I don't know what more insight to offer on it, him than that. Obviously, we've seen Reynolds be better than this in the past, and, and maybe he can get back to that. But I, I don't feel like he gets a lot of benefit of the doubt at this point. And uh, I'm not saying you drop him. Even in three outfielder leagues, I want to drop Brian Reynolds. But if you want to bench him, I'm fine with it.
0: Completely agree. Not benching, I mean, not dropping Brian Reynolds. Would you consider him a buy low if you could?
1: I mean, just looking at the, the stack has page, so expected batting average is 283, that's really good, versus an actual 261 mark. Expected slug, 495 versus an actual 438 mark. All right. Uh, hard hit rate is 91st percentile. I mean, it's a lot of red on the stack has page for Brian Reynolds. I don't want to oversimplify it, but you know, between that and his history... I'd say it's more likely than not he he does bounce back, which is why, which is why I'm suggesting don't drop him. <laughs> so yeah, buy low. But it you should be able to buy pretty low at this point.
0: All right, that is Brian Reynolds, and let's wrap up with uh just got one left over here, a pitching leftover, Dane Dunning. He joins Charlie Morton in their revenge tour. For me, calling them busts in the second half. Seven innings of two-run ball with four strikeouts up against the Tampa Bay Rays. Still allowed a lot of hard contact in it in this game. He does not get whiffs. I, I don't really know how he's doing it, Scott, but
1: Dane yeah. Dunning is doing it. Two earned runs or fewer in five of his last six starts. Well, and the most impressive thing to me is that three of his last five, he's gone six, uh gone seven innings or more in three of his last five. I think four of the five it's been six or more. So even when he was pitching well earlier, it was still easy to write him off because he wasn't giving you enough length, but now he's giving you both. It's a long second half. I wouldn't back off of your second half bus prediction yet. <laughs> That's true. That's why I need you around Scott, because uh,
0: you keep me grounded. You keep me in check. Cause Sometimes I just get these crazy thoughts in my head and I
1: overreact too quickly, but put know. on a put on a Colorado Rockies tie dye t-shirt.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah, they took two out of three against the Yankees. So I'm a Rockies fan now. <laughs> so duh. You're
1: changing allegiances. That's how, <laughs> that's how reactive you are.
0: Yeah. It's, speaking of the Yankees, they're, they're so bad, man. They, they lost to the angels in extra innings. It's, I don't want to talk about mm-hmm. it. All right. The bullpen updates the call to the bullpen for the Dodgers. Evan Phillips was unavailable. Ryan Brazier picked up his second save of the season. For the Rangers, Aroldis Chapman struck out the side with the game tied in the ninth inning, and he wound up with the win. For the Cardinals, Jordan Hicks gave up three hits but picked up his eighth save, 58% roster for Hicks, so uh, still could be out there in some leagues. For the Nationals, Kyle Finnegan recorded the final four outs for his 12th save. He struck out three and... He's pitched well for some time now. He's got the ERA down to 332. Uh, Kyle Finnegan, 33% rostered. Could make for a good pickup, assuming he's not traded away from the Washington Nationals. For the Tigers, Alex Lang struck out two for his 15th save, and he's also below 70% rostered. Scott, how would you rank Jordan Hicks, Alex Lang, Kyle Finnegan?
1: I'm going to go Alex Lang, number one, and then Hicks, two, and Finnegan, three. Finnegan, a distant third.
0: Okay, Let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream. And we will start with Tuesday. And I think we said Brian Wu versus the twins. Uh, Logan Allen is making his return to the Guardians. He's at the Pirates. I think that one's pretty good. Uh, Do you want to chance it with a Jameis and Tyone versus Nationals or Carlos
1: Carrasco versus White Sox? Probably not. You know, I don't like to. To chance it much to begin with. But if you're making me pick a third, that would be the third. Tyone or Carrasco? Carrasco.
0: Okay. On Wednesday, uh, I think Aaron Savali at the Pirates. That stands out. I, I like that yeah. one quite a bit. Yeah. I think Christopher Sanchez has pitched pretty well, and he's going up against the Brewers. I think that one's fine. Oh, uh, yeah. Kenta I
1: don't trust him.
0: Kentamaeda at the Mariners. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if I wonder if he's uh, if he's if he's gonna hold up again. I know, I know things kind of took a turn for the worse in his last start, and he's just been very brittle over the past couple years. So um, I'm a little worried about Maeda, but at Seattle, I guess I guess I'd go with it. Yeah, I, I like Savali the best here. I'm kind of I'm kind of afraid to even say it. I think I know where you're going. Dean Kramer against the Dodgers. That's exactly where I thought you were going. <laughs> Win number eleven, baby. Oh my gosh! I mean, if Grayson Rodriguez couldn't do it, Ugh. well, we know maybe Grayson Rodriguez is going to do it, but Dean Kramer can. His his former organization, revenge game. Ooh,
0: you know I like a good revenge game, Scotty. So yeah. All right, you you'll take Dean Kramer. I, I'm not taking Dean Kramer. I'll take it to Volley. I'm taking Kenta Maeda. Take Kramer over Maeda. How do you like that? Uh, I don't like it at all, but I hope it works out. Um, and I would take Christopher Sanchez up against the Brewers. Team Name Tuesday. We'll uh, finish up with this. And this one came from Garrett on Twitter. And uh, this is a Red Hot Chili Peppers reference here, Scotty. Bayo, listen what I say, yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> it's supposed to rhyme, but uh, that is the song Snow by Red Hot Chili Peppers. You should check it out. Mm. It's really good. I really good. like it. Uh, from Trevor, Return of the McClanahan.
1: I guess that's supposed to be a
0: Return of the Mac.
1: Yeah. It's aren't so good so far. All right. Uh, Greg Bird is the word. I mean, it's a classic, but... <laughs> kind of outdated at this point. Yeah. I
0: wonder if Adam Azar's ears are ringing in his sleep right now when we're talking about Greg Bird. Uh you would catch a trout. You would catch a trout with you Darvish, Alex Wood and Mike Trout. No, that's dumb.
1: <laughs> Yoshida Island. Uh is that like Yoshi Island? But- I think I think so. Okay. <laughs> Woo is on first. All right. You could probably do better things with Woo's <laughs> name than that. Steer the Flying Rutchman. That's not bad. And stra- best of a bad batch.
0: Strand by your Manning.
1: Did you notice, by the way, just going to ignore the team name, Encarnacion <laughs> <laughs> Strand is just going with Encarnacion on the back of his jersey. Really? I did not notice that. Interesting choice. I wondered, you know, I've wondered with the hyphenated names that get so long. Like, yeah. And I've long wondered what, what, what happens when hyphenated names start hyphenating with other hyphenated names and it becomes <laughs> four names hyphenated together. Are they just going to like do like a spiral of name around the number on the back of the jersey? I, I would like it. Maybe to. not. I mean, maybe they just arbitrarily choose a name. Which whichever parent they liked more, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess,
0: yeah. Well, I wondered if we were gonna get the maybe almost a full circle out of Encarnacion Strand on the back of the jersey. So, uh, but you say he's going with Encarnacion, huh? Right.
1: Yep. Interesting. I, I don't. I, I. mean, I. I think he's still officially listed as Encarnacion Strand, but it's just yep. just Encarnacion on the back of the jersey.
0: All right. Let's finish up these team names from Alex. Get up, Strand up. All right. That's uh, apparently a Bob Marley song. From Carson, Mickey, Money, that's a Billy Joel reference. Sure. From Raymond, wham, bam, thank you, fam. (laughs) It's not bad. From Todd, the curious case of Byron Buxton. Kind of a stretch, but okay. From Doug, house of the rising Snell.
1: Mm, Doesn't work. From Corey, Morton Sears-A-Woo. <laughs> Too many names, but I kind of like it. And from Matthew, Cabbage, Braddish, and
0: Carrotini Farmer.
1: Cabbage, radish, and what, what kind of... Carrots? What kind of produce is Carrotini? It's supposed to be like carrots? I guess. Hmm. Doesn't quite work, but... It, you know, especially given the fact that Farmer is a baseball name. There's a couple of them. Kyle Farmer, Buck Farmer. Yeah. Yeah. It it almost works. All right, well, Scott was very
0: unimpressed by this week's team name Tuesday, so we're going to need everyone. step it up, folks. Yeah, we need people to come with the fire next week, so make sure to send those in. We're going to wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.